welcome to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. I'm Mark Simon. We've done this a few years in a row now. Our last regular season show, we reviewed the surprises of 2022. And here to do that with us, Tyler Kepner, the national baseball writer for the New York Times. Hey, Tyler. Hey, Mark. How are you? We're good. And our vice president of baseball, former major leaguer, both as a player and in the front office, Bobby Scales. Hey, Bobby. Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. We're doing this the morning of the final day of the regular season. The reason that we do it, people think that baseball is an easy game to predict. It's not. And the fun of baseball is in the things that surprise us. There's good stats, good stories behind the surprises. We've got nine to discuss. We each came in with three. And I want to give each of them their due. We'll start with Tyler. Tyler's going to start us off with none other than the story of the 2022 season, Aaron Judge and his 62 or more home runs. Yeah, well, thanks. It's, it's, you know, it's hard to say that a guy like Aaron Judge is a surprise because we knew he was a superstar. He established that from, uh, you know, his rookie season when he had 52 home runs. But I think it's got to be a surprise that someone ever beat Roger Maris's record in the American League in the non-steroid era, like, uh, or the steroid testing era, I guess, I guess we should say. Aaron Judge's story this year was epic. I mean, he starts out with a very public, literally a public declaration by the Yankees of what they offered him. And it was a very substantial deal, 213 and a half million for seven years. And he said no and bet on himself, a very, very public bet. And he went out and broke Roger Maris's American League home run record. Who saw that storyline playing out? Of all the ways that we we in New York cover stories and and hype stories and 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 look at every angle, I don't know if anybody said, you know what? This guy's going to do, he's going to go out and hit 62 home runs and challenge for the triple crown. And that's what he did. And he carried the Yankees when they were having their own surprising season in the sense that they were running away with like the best record ever. And then they were, they couldn't find their way for, you know, for months, particularly August. And then they, they recovered. So the judge was the rock throughout it all. And yeah, 62 home runs. That's, that was a surprise. 50. Okay. I could have bought it. 62? No, I, I would never saw that coming. 62 in a year of slightly depressed offense. Bobby, we talked about this two weeks ago. Was there anything that you saw in the last two weeks that particularly intrigued you with the way that he handled the, the chase? Just class. My goodness. I mean, you know, Tyler outlined it very well. And, and you know, living it, you know, being in the belly of the beast that is New York in so many ways. Just tremendous class. And he's... Just unflappable. This it seems like even, you know, in the beginning of the season when, you know, when he, you know, as Tyler said, is when he made very public what his the contract offer was into a guy who's playing his, you know, I think 30 or 31 year old season. That's a good number. It's a big number. But even when he, you know, when he declined that offer and, and had to explain that to the media, it was just class and dignity and a whole just throughout the entire season. And just his his ability to stay even keeled and stay with his process and be fully invested in his process. I think that that serves that served him well. I think it serves him well as just as a player. I think part of that is human nature. And I think part of it is also probably stuff that he's been taught along the way. So just just nothing, almost nothing to do with baseball, more to do with the man, which we know translates onto the baseball field. So just tremendous class. It was, it's, it's, and even through the struggles of the last two weeks, you know, you know, he's pressing, but he's trying, he's desperately trying to deflect it, desperately trying to stay dialed in for the pursuit of the team. Just tremendous. It's really been tremendous, really fun to watch. 
Home runs down 12% this year. Aaron Judge, in Aaron Judge's case, up more than 60%. By the way, he beats Mike Trout, who's going to finish with either 39, 40, 41, depending on what happens the final day. He's going to beat Mike Trout by 20-plus home runs. If Mike Trout had played the whole season, right now he's he's hitting them at a 54 home run pace. So he would have been playing the Mickey Mantle role to Roger Maris <laughs> in Aaron Judge. All right, let's switch over. Stay in the American League. Stay in the American League East. Going to stay in the same division because I want to talk about the Orioles. I looked at this last night. I try to pick win totals the day before the season starts. I very proudly, very was sure this was going to be good, put the Orioles at 59. And I don't feel bad about that because I don't think you could have seen this coming. And I have to give them credit because they've cleared 500 with a pitching staff in which their best guy's claim to fame was that he had previously pitched for my favorite team, Team Israel. Four of the top five guys that they had in innings pitched this year had a below average ERA+. plus. The lineup is good or was good, but it was like ninth, tenth for most of the year in OPS, but they caught the ball. They fielded, they fielded very well. They got the most that they could out of players like Jorge Mateo, who couldn't hit, but was a, a potential 20-run save guy, 25 steals guy at, at shortstop. Adley Rutschman comes up. They're a different team when he's there. The catcher position this year is so bereft of offense. He's as good as it gets both offensively and defensively immediately, other than maybe for JT Realmuto. What are your impressions? Maybe start with Tyler. Tyler, what are your impressions of the Orioles, and how far away are they from being really good? Yeah, I think it's interesting this offseason if, if they try to capitalize on this and, and start spending some money, bringing in some established veterans to to this team. They, they move back the fence. I think that was that turned out to be a genius move, settled things down with their pitching staff and, and, and makes it easier to develop young pitcher pitchers and also makes it easier to attract pitchers there. So given how low, you know, how low their payroll is and, and the fact that it's now a, a nice ballpark to pitch in. I would think they can go out and, 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 and capitalize on this, you know, by adding. So, uh, how do they do it? it? It's still, it's still somewhat of a mystery to me. You touched on a lot of the reasons, you know, they, they, they started to get some, some good contributions from some guys they'd kind of been waiting on, like Kramer and Aiken, you know, and they, they made some nice moves on, on the smaller end. But when you look at them trading their all-star closer at Lopez and trading Trey Mancini, who was, it was the long-term guy there. Uh, and still doing this, it is really, really impress- impressive and never, never saw this coming. You mentioned the outfield fences. I sat in center field for an Orioles game earlier this year. It looks really weird in left field the way that it is now compared yeah. to the way that it, it was then. Bobby, take us inside their front office meetings heading into this offseason with Rutschman, with Gunnar Henderson, with potentially others, other really good guys coming. What is this team thinking about as it heads into the offseason? Well, I think they're thinking about entering their window. And, and the one thing, the one prohibitive factor in that is to leak the, the, the division they play in. That's a monster. The AL East is an absolute monster when you look at it. It is year in and year out, and this year is no different. There's no reason to think it's not going to be any different going forward. The Rays are so consistent. The Yankees are the Yankees. Toronto is in the middle, I believe, of their winning window. And Boston is not, I, they're not going to stand for just staying at the bottom of the division. So it's it's cautious optimism. We have a good team. We have a team with a lot of controllable pieces. How can we augment? Do we have anything left in our system to go possibly acquire some more younger controllable pieces? And that may, to a certain degree, mean mortgaging what's at the bottom of their system. 
Because if you look at the anatomy of a lot of these trades that are happening in in, in professional baseball today, the the one to one big leaguer, the the one to two, you know, current big leaguer for major league ready but not quite in the big leagues guy, those are have kind of gone away. You're looking, you're looking a ball. You're looking even kids on the island in Dominican Republic getting traded in some of these deals. So do, what do they have at the very bottom of their system that could go help them access some more? closer to major league ready pieces that can help them get over that hump and actually contend for a wild card spot in a greater sense than they did this year. So I don't think they're far away. The question is, okay, what this really is a question for their analysts and their advanced scouts. What was smoke and mirrors and what was real that we can believe in? That's the question that is being that's going to be asked in that in those advanced meetings with the the decision making group with the Orioles this offseason. So they had like a, a bazillion pitchers that had between one war and three war. They didn't have anyone that was better than three war this year, but they had a whole bunch of guys who were small contributors. And also we should give credit to their closer after they traded Lopez, Felix Bautista, who has great entrance music for those that like yes. that. Bobby, <laughs> the Braves, you want to pick them as your surprise? I, I, I am. And this is going to sound silly. Maybe, maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I, I am just full disclosure. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I did work in the game. So your favorite team when you're working in the game is the team that is paying your paycheck. So you kind of lose a little bit of that fandom. But what this team is doing again this year, how they chase the Mets down again this year, who they did it with for me is a surprise. It's not that they did it. It's who they did it with. Looking back at the final game of the World Series last year, Freddie Freeman, Jorge Soler, Acuna was not in that team last year. Will Smith was on that team last year. Adam Duvall was there. Ozzy Albies was there last year. Just a couple nights ago, look at who they did it with. Even last night, Ronald Acuna is back. Not only is Ronald Acuna back, Ronald Acuna is back to being Ronald Acuna. He's got 29 bags this year. Mike Harris, don't get me started on him. I, I love this guy. I absolutely love what he's doing, and we'll get to him back to him in a second. Matt Olson, coming over from Oakland, you're replacing a, a, a club icon, a club legend in Freddie Freeman. You're doing it in your hometown with all the pressure that brings, and you're, and they just gave you a big new contract to do it. Unbelievable what he's done this year. And for me, one of the unsung heroes, a couple of the unsung heroes, a guy like Orlando Arcia, Albies goes down. Is he the player Ozzy Albies is? No, he's not. But boy, he did a great job in filling in OPS in 729 and catching the baseball. You look at Vaughn Grissom up from double A, absolutely, you know, did, did a tremendous job in, in doing his part to fill in for Ozzy Albies and to being able to spell Dansby Swanson on occasion as well. But uh, Spencer Strider, I would be absolutely remiss not to acknowledge the step forward he took. He was a reliever at the beginning of the year. Now he's a bedrock piece of the rotation. I understand he's hurt right now, but nonetheless, don't know if they do what they do without him. Max Free taking another leap forward in his development. So I say all this to say, like, yeah, everybody's like, oh, this team was really good. We you expected them to do this. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Not coming. Not coming off. Not coming off a year like like they had last year, which was special, magical run, all the way to lifting the trophy and having an open uh, open top bus parade. But you replace the pieces they replaced with a couple of unproven guys, some guys who are not who are proven big leaguers, but in a different environment. And then to get the production in the in the not panic when they were 10 games back of the Mets. And yes, the Mets spit the bit a little bit. Mark, I know you're crying a little bit, but the Mets spit the bit a little bit in the division. But somebody had to be there to to to, to eat them up and they did that. So for me, surprise Yes, but to me, the surprise is not that they did it. It's how and who they did it with. One last point on, on Mike Harris that I want to illustrate, his development throughout the season. He's hitting third against right-handers now. The other night in the game that they swept the Mets in, he hit third. And then last night, I was, I was, actually, I was actually out for my mother's 75th birthday. Shout out to mom. Edie Scales, really? love you. 
I was I was walking past the television and the Braves Braves game was going on as we're walking to the restaurant and it's top top of the fourth. They're in, on the road in Miami. It's top of the fourth. Runners on first and second. Nobody out. Mike Harris drops down a perfect sacrifice bunt. So you're asking, you know, what that, that what what is the significance of that? Okay, one thing we know about that is first of all, people don't bunt more. Well, in the postseason, I got news for you. It's just like a lot of other sports. Basketball, you might get 140, 129 in the regular season. You're not getting that in the playoffs. It's just like you're not going to get 8-6, eight, 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 10, 10, 9, 13, 15 in the playoffs. Those games don't happen because you shorten the pitching staffs and you shorten the bullpen. So you're getting the best on best. So those little things like that, the stuff that Brian Snicker is doing from the dugout to manage that group and also point them in a direction where this is what we're going to do come playoff time, I think it's masterful. So I'm done. I my love affair with the Braves, just the way they do it, the way they play the game, I, I'm good. <laughs> we're all very, we're all very impressed with what they've done. I think you had a case over the weekend. Really good team, beat really good team. I don't feel bad about the way that the Mets season has gone. I think the Mets have 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 done, have had a fantastic season, and I hope that in people's eyes that it is, there isn't some sort of blemish just because they didn't win those three games. Michael Harris is bunt, by the way, the ultimate surprise. It was the first sacrifice of the season for the Braves in 2022. And, and let me just add to that, too. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago when Joe Madden did that with Chicago. He did it with Chris Bryant. Coming down the stretch of the regular season, he bunted with Chris Bryant. He bunted with Rizzo at one point. You're, this is what the play, what playoff baseball looks like, and he's trying to get guys to, to at least get some reps doing in the games. I won't say they don't matter anymore. But as because we know as we get into the playoffs, it's a whole different animal. Tyler, your second surprise on our list is another slugger. It's not Aaron Judge. It's a slugger who essentially had a run like the Braves at the end of the season. The grand farewell for Albert Pujols. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, let, let, let's admit it. When, when Albert Pujols was released by the Angels last year, when he's batting 198 in May, and it just had not worked out there in Anaheim. He was 41 years old. I think everybody, I, cert- I certainly thought that was it. And he went out and he played a little better in, in, in L.A. You know, he, he really did well against left-handed pitchers. He proved that he was useful. And when he came back to the Cardinals, you know, you, you thought it was just sort of almost like a charity case. Like, hey, they'll use him against lefties and he'll, he'll get the farewell. I don't think anybody had, had an idea that in the second half of the season, he would find the old Albert Pujols. And that's what's happened. He is sending off his his career with, you know, with, with a flourish and a historic flourish. I mean, to get to 700 home runs, 703 going into the last last game of the season, is just un- unheard of, you know, because because guys don't do this at, at, that, at that age. And he's doing it against, and it's righties, doing it against lefties. His second half numbers, 323, 388 on base, 715 slugging, 18 homers, a 1.1 OPS. I mean, it's it's just been remarkable to see. And I love how the all-time greats can sometimes, for a brief stretch, find what made them great again. So this has just been tremendous. I, I you know, I, we, we always think in terms of like, what are the numbers these guys are going to sit on for the rest of their careers? And, you know, I thought, well, maybe it'll be like 692 or 694 or something coming up close to A-Rod, but not quite another guy in the 690s. And he blew right past it. And he's he's in that Mount Rushmore with 700 home runs for a playoff team, no less. So all those years in Anaheim, you didn't really think he was going to get a fitting farewell. And somehow he's done it. And that's pretty cool. It's 
like two and a half months of Kobe Bryant scoring 60 in every game, turning back the clock. I think Tyler covered it beautifully. It's been fun to watch because, uh, you know, I I was out there in L.A. as the farm director, 13 through 15. You watched a a proud, accomplished lion limping through that part of his career, and it was hard to watch. And then you, you go downstairs, you know, on occasion, and you watch him put in the work. You watch him try to get himself in a position to play. It was tough. And, and you knew there was a guy in there that was still supremely talented, but he literally couldn't stay on the field. And it was just being his talent and his strength was being sapped. So it was, it's been very good. It's been very nice to watch him finish this, finish this season out and finish his career out the way it should, it should be. Really has been amazing. Tyler cited the slash line stats. It will be very interesting to watch him in the postseason because he gives the Cardinals another right handed threat to go with Arenado and Goldschmidt, one of whom will likely win the MVP. So for the second one that I was going to do, we talked about this two weeks ago with Jose Mota, Reclamations, the Dodgers, and what they were able to do with Tyler Tyler Anderson, Andrew Heaney, and Trace Thompson. Tyler Anderson was good in 2016. He had five meh years after that. This year, he's pitched to a 2-5 ERA. Andrew Heaney, they change his breaking ball. He's pitching three, four innings at a clip. He's been ridiculous, striking out 13 per nine innings. And then Tiger reject, essentially, Trace Thompson, who was in Detroit, in the minors. Tigers could have used him. Believe me, the Tigers had the worst offense in baseball this season. He goes to LA. He's amazing. Bobby, from a player development perspective, how do you separate the guys that you can magically change from the guys that you can't? Well, it's aptitude and athletic ability. The two ingredients you must have is a player that has enough athletic ability that has not been robbed of either injury or age. And also, I say a close second is aptitude. Maybe one, even one A is aptitude because you have players. And and for me, aptitude includes a willingness to understand who you are and change your approach to different things. And so it's, it's, there's guys who can understand what they're doing, but can't apply it. There's guys who have the ability to apply it, but again, don't have the physical ability left either due to age or due to just, you know, having had it sapped from injury. But when you get those two guys, you get guys like this who clearly have enough athletic ability to continue to make those adjustments who are healthy enough to do so. And then also have enough aptitude to take the information they're given and put it into their game and trust that it's going to work. That's a special thing. So that's really the separator when you're, when you're looking at reclamation projects, because people have them all year. There's there's 20 guys just in these meetings. OK, we can fix them. We can fix them. Everybody believes that. But can you really? A lot of that's up to the player himself. Tyler, there isn't much about the Dodgers record that's a surprise. I think you would have figured they were going to win 105 or so this year. They exceed that by a decent amount. Was there anything in particular that intrigued you about the Dodgers this year? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Bobby touched on a lot of it, but it's just, it's just when you look at the volume of really high impact pitching that they've lost, you know, they, 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 well, let's not forget they had Trevor Bauer, who was, this was one of his years under contract, very good pitcher, long gone from the team. Last year, they traded for Scherzer to replace him. He's long gone. Walker Bueller, 12 starts, and he's done. Kershaw's only made 21 starts. Gonsolin went on the injured list. You know, they have had so many, uh, you know, David Price, you know, is the relief pitcher now. So my guy, Dustin May, was was out for most of the year recovering from Tommy John. He's only made six starts. And even Andrew Heaney has only made 14 starts. So this is a team that figures out a way to get the best out of what you've got. They've, they will find an Evan Phillips and they will find an Alex Vestia and they will find these guys and identify something about them that, that can shine. And 
it and lo and behold it does time after time you know you talked about tyler anderson perfect example so you know all credit to them they they figure out a way to to finally kind of get get away from that model from let's say 2018 when hey it worked they got onto the world series but they're mixing and matching i remember in that world series everybody all of their position players started at least one game because they always all had a uh they were you know, he starts against lefties, he starts against righties, this matchup for that matchup. Now they've got an everyday lineup they just roll out there uh, with big-time superstars like, you know, Betts and Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman. It's 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 been really impressive to see how that part of the Dodgers has evolved on offense while they continue to just find these pitchers of all pedigrees and make them work. It really is amazing how they've actually turned into essentially the Rays with a lot of money in what they do. They're able to afford the superstars and they find the guys like Tampa Bay does. Bobby, the other team in the World Series last year was the Houston Astros and you're picking them as one of your surprises of 2022. Elaborate on why you say that. And again, I know this isn't a hot take or a controversial take, but it's, it's just, if you look at, I, I, I'm a big believer in context. Now, you know, I know the, the numbers mean something. Eyeball test means something as well. But the context surrounding both of those things always means something as well to me. W- once again, I mean, this team gets heartbroken in the World Series last year again. You have free agent departures. You 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 you, you lose one of the 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 icons of your franchise. Carlos Correa decides to go somewhere else, and and he had a nice year. But the young man who who filled in for him, for him unbelievable what he's been able to do. It, it the numbers are close. They're not they're not Correa levels, and he's a little bit worse defensively. But the point is, he's done a really nice job of filling in for a really beloved and productive player in that ser- in that city. And so when you look at it, let's be honest, James Click and Bake, last year of contracts, too. There's contract stuff surrounding them. Very easily be- to, to, to become distracted by that. But they go out and win over 100 games again. That pitching staff, we knew they were going to be good. I, could, could you really think that Verlander was going to be as good as he's been? Were you possibly expecting one of their other young pitchers to have a, a possibly a step back or just be or suffer from a, a deep postseason run hangover, which is happens quite often when you look at teams that have had deep postseason runs the year before? They're pitching; they have a bunch a bunch more injuries the following year, and their pitching is usually the most adversely affected. They've you know they've had a few bumps in the road pitching wise, but it speaks to their depth that they've they've compiled in their system and also uh, on their major league team. So it's just been it's been tremendous to watch, and, and I'm a massive fan of Dusty Baker. His ability to connect with players of all ages throughout the generations, I think it's just he has a magical touch when it comes to things like that. And and he gets a knock for being not very analytic, which is simply not true. He loves he loves the numbers. He looks at the numbers. They are important to him. But he's also not going to throw away what he's seen over the last 40 plus years in baseball either. So I, I think is it a, is it a real surprise? No, but it's still like, wow, for them to perform like this again at this level is truly amazing for me. Yeah, I mean, just the, the the depth of pitching that the Astros have is is really going to make them tough. I think uh, to beat in October, November, the, the the renaissance of Justin Verlander. You know, again, this is an all time great. He's extremely motivated, but even so, to see that one point seven five ERA matching his innings, one hundred seventy five innings, a one seven five ERA. That's unbelievable, <laughs> right? And uh, eighteen and eighteen and four. It's almost like he 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 went back in his own history. And looked at that Cy Young he lost to uh, Blake Snell, you know, when Snell had a sub two ERA in fewer than 200 innings, uh, while Verlander was, you know, out there grinding it out for 214 innings and and whatever it was, and um, 
I think he decided, you know what, I'm going to have one of them Blake Snell kind of seasons myself, and that's what he did. You know, he don't don't out. even get me started on that, Tyler. I don't even. I <laughs> I I'm sorry. Wins matter. We can argue till the cows come home. They do, but for him to go roll out 18 of them, just to to your point, roll out 18 of them and, and to do it the year after, you know, coming off Tommy John, I, I just, yeah, I think it matters. I, I'm old school in that regard, and oh, I, love I can it, be a yeah. curmudgeon if that's. If that's what people want to call me, that's fine. But I do believe that that win that win total matters. Yeah, because what it shows you is is I mean, obviously we all know we all know how wins work. Sometimes guys don't get them when they pitch great, and and, and vice versa. But every time a pitcher gets a win, he leaves the stadium, and his teammates leave the stadium happy because the team won the game. However, you yes. did whether you gave up five runs in five innings, that's a positive result for the team, and that's the goal of the day. So. You know, for him to have 18 of those in 28 start is a heck of a ratio. Mike Mussina used to talk about how, and it is uncanny if you look at this through history, how the best pitchers, the best pitchers win half their starts. Like, yes. Very hard to do that. Mike Mussina did it like 50.1%. Like he just barely did it. It's very hard to do that. But if you think about it in those terms, if you're winning half your starts, that's really good. He's won 18 out of 28. And as Jason Stark noted in his you know, his cyan predicting column about Verlander, like, okay, so he only pitched 175 innings, 28 starts, but he went deeper in those starts than most guys do. He, he pitched, he saved his bullpen more than the other guys who maybe had more innings, but fewer per game. He was able to, to get those tough outs the fourth time through the order and all that stuff. He's a dude and he's going to win his third Cy Young. And it's, and he probably deserves more than that too. It's a hundred percent. I a hundred percent agree. And I'll, I'll say this, I'll add this from a position player standpoint. Okay, who's pitching tomorrow? Oh, Verlander's pitching tomorrow? Hey, man, listen. Let's get him three and catch the ball. We're going to win the game. That's what you think about as a position player. Let's get him three. Figure out a way to get him three and catch the baseball. We'll win. And and knowing that, I don't care what anybody says. It's a psychological advantage for your club. 18 out of 28 last year, or this year, rather. 21 out of 34 in his other last full season, 2019. We have a section. It's the final section of the Bill James Handbook where we look at 300 win probability and i remember last year i actually said that i thought that we should get rid of the section because it's impossible we had max scherzer at 11 percent zach grenke at six percent i think grenke's wiped off the board now scherzer's probably still alive at a very small percentage justin verler and there may may not be uh 10 percent but even the fact that he if he was one percent right now would be something turning 40 he needs 56 i guess the intrigue becomes if he gets close if he just keeps going and pushes and pushes and pushes wouldn't expect it but kind of a neat thing as his career winds down too we talked about pools we talk about verlander as well all right that takes us to our third each person coming in with three surprises tyler your third surprise the chicago white Sox. this one takes a little bit more of a negative turn yeah, I, I think the White Sox to me seemed like the easiest pick for for the division champ, and it, it shows you what I know because they <laughs> they're 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 going to finish no better than eighty two and eighty. You know, they come into the last game of the season and they're eighty one and and eighty. And frankly, I'm surprised they're even that good because it's been just a a, a really sort of blah kind of season all the way through. They've never they never got they never got it going. They never had any any kind of consistent offensive forces on that team they had some you know a, a, a couple of a couple of standout pitching seasons johnny cueto i mean to come in there you know and still still be spinning his magic there at 36 dylan cease emerging as an ace was has been really really cool to see uh liam Hendricks did a nice job but 
on the whole, I mean, this is a team that is built to win now. They've been to the playoffs in the in, in 2020. They won the division last year. And they just took a huge step back and really let the youngest team in baseball, the Guardians, zip right past them. Tony La Russa, we know, you know, had had he has stepped down now with, with, with health issues. That didn't work out this season. He took the blame for that in his in his statement. Too many hitters getting injured, not enough power, and just guys like Lucas Giolito taking a step back and, and Lance Lynn not being so great. It's just just really a a puzzling kind of season because saying all that, I still look at those names in that roster and say, how do they only win half their games? Bobby, how do they fix it? Well, I don't know, but Tyler, your your assessment of it, it sounds like I like I'm saying that. Mark and I have had many discussions on virtually everything you just said. I kept saying throughout the season, look at this roster. If they can get guys back on the field, this is such a good dynamic roster. So then two things happened. One, the few stretches where they did get guys back on the field together, they didn't play like it. And two, probably I probably should flip these. Probably the second was more important. They didn't have their team. They didn't have their they're even even a nine for what I don't know three quarters of the year, so there's a lot of things to assess. Not just with the baseball, I, I think with the medical team. I'm not calling for people's jobs, but when you have this many injuries in one year, and you do it a couple of years in a row, you you gotta you gotta do something different to what you're doing because it's it's it doesn't it's not working. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a doctor, but that's just common sense speaking right there. I I, I do I, I got to shout out my 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 guy Dylan Cease graduate of Milton High School in Milton, Georgia, the same high school as yours truly. So we're, wow. we're, we're, we're proud of him. Yeah. We're, Dexter so wait, Fowler, where, where, Farnsworth, myself. Are, I was going to say, what are the ranks? What's the rank of, wow. of, yeah. of the of the players who have graduated from your school? What's the weird like? Is it Cease at the top? And then what's the rest of the pecking? Uh No, Dexter Fowler. Dexter Fowler. Okay. Dang, Dex, what a high school. Dex is probably first. Kyle's probably second. Dylan obviously has the opportunity to uh, move up the list. He's young in his career, but they're all below me. No, I'm kidding. I'm clearly <laughs> fourth with with my 98 days service time in the major leagues. But 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 back to the White Sox. In all seriousness, the the beauty of it is that I, I I'm fairly certain they still have a lot of these guys under control, and they're they're not an old team. Uh, they're still I still think that if they can get on the field, they have a chance to win this division next year. But with the Guardians, as you said, taking that step forward with a very young club, it's not going to get any easier. So the last of these, essentially, Bobby and I picked similars. They're, they kind of run together. They stay in the AL Central. I wanted to pick, like, who's the least likely guy that might show up on the MLB awards shows on MLB Network the week that they do the awards, and they bring three people out to they bring the, the winner and the two people who finished second and third to kind of chit-chat before they announce the award. And in the American League Central, there is a player that might be on that podium. He might not, because Jordan Alvarez might make it with Otani and Aaron Judge. But Andres Jimenez had the surprising su- season of all surprising seasons. I knew that he was a fantastic glove when he was with the Mets. He played great. I remember saying, boy, I think if the Mets trade him, they better make sure that they're getting something great back, because uh, I think we, if it all possible you want to hang on to him but it wasn't for the hitting and he's hitting 300 370 470 with close to a 2020 season and playing gold glove caliber defense he's a wizard in the field he's awesome and he's one of the big reasons why they're as good as they are now bobby i know you wanted to pick the guardians as your surprise so go ahead and uh, feel free to articulate on them uh, my favorite team in the big leagues right now and the reason why is is because of how they do it. First of all, I'm a massive Tito Francona fan. I had the pleasure of being in spring training with Boston in 2007. I was there the entire time. I did not get called up 
but Tito has a way of getting the most out of every player. He clearly defines what he needs them to do and supports them in that. It's amazing the way the magic touch he has with people and players. That said, he's got a very young team, which we talked about earlier. He has a team that does not hit the ball hard. They do not hit home runs. What what they do is they don't punch out. They they absolutely ground out grind out at, at bats. They catch the baseball defensively, and they they're pitching. They're, I'm going to be honest with you. Doing the research for this, I thought their pitching would be a little bit more statistically towards the top of things. They're in the middle of the pack in a lot of things, except for one thing. I think is very notable. They throw a ton of heaters in a game now where we're seeing more breaking balls thrown than ever before. They dominate. They fill up the strike zone with with fastballs. And then they essentially let guys hit it. They, they do induce some weak contact and they catch the baseball. That is as old school curmudgeon formula for winning baseball as there ever was. And they're doing it in 2022. Granted, that division is not the best division, but they are. They've won it. And so to me, that's why they're my favorite team in the game right now. In an era where we're seeing guys punch out at 35, 36 percent rates and, and it's OK, we have devalued the single. We've decided that the strikeout is OK in hopes of chasing harder contact and more extra base hits. This team does the opposite of that and they win games and they win divisions. And I'm telling you right now, when you do stuff like that, you're going to be a pest in the playoffs. This, this team is not going to be an easy out. So that's why I say surprise. Probably it, that's probably a misnomer. It's probably my favorite team. Because they do it in a fashion that is just so contrary to what you see in baseball today. I picked the Guardians for 75 wins this year. I had them in last place in the AL Central. I had the Tigers with more wins than them. Tyler, to wrap this up, did you have any thoughts on Cleveland? Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it, they do it year after year with this this young pitching that they have. And it's amazing because their hit rate on these trades is it's, it is so good. You know, to Outstanding. Trade, yeah, to, to trade a Lindor and to get, to get the middle of your infield for years to come. And, and, and not just guys who, who, you know, are average for the big leaguers, but, you know, it's stars like Jimenez. That's, that's a, that's a huge win, you know, and, and the, the trade for the Mike Clevenger trade a few years ago when it looked like they were just getting quantity and it turned out they got Cal Quantrill. And I think you'd rather have Cal Quantrill right now than, than Mike Clevenger anyway. Plus they got Josh Naylor in that deal and some other guys. So Owen Miller. So, you know, they, they started off this year on a high by signing Jose Ramirez, and that's the unusual for Cleveland. You know, we 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 see how they often lose their their big guys uh, historically. They kept their big guy, and they added around him. McKenzie has really come into his own this year. That's huge. Bieber yes. is the ace you, you need, and with Bieber, McKenzie, and Quantrill, that's a really really good top three. And they've got that closer who, you know, Class A. There's probably no better closer in baseball. So they're going to be dangerous they don't hit a lot of home runs which is a little bit uh, worrisome in the playoffs but they do put the bat on the ball and you know that can also be a big deal in these close games so i can't wait to see how they do they are a real fun team to watch and they should be that way for a long time best closer in baseball comma along with edwin diaz i think is of course, of where, course. Is where, <laughs> is where you're going with that I now i do want to say this I've watched like two, three guys this year. Edwin Diaz would fall in that. Class A would fall in that. But then there are like these other guys that are like 
not first year guys where I'm like, I don't know how people get a hit off of them. And I think I got, I kind of got influenced by the fact that they were playing Detroit, but I said that about Tristan McKenzie when I saw him earlier this season, I think it was eight inning, 12 strikeout game against the Tigers. I don't know how people get hits against him. He gave up 138 and 191 in a third innings. He's an interesting one to watch heading into the postseason. Also heading into the postseason with some crazy pitching stats, Rysel Iglesias of the aforementioned Atlanta Braves, who in his last 30-odd innings has given up a total of two runs. He has been ridiculous. All right, before we go, Tyler, I want to give you two minutes to plug your book, The Grandest Stage, A History of the World Series, coming out. You can get it. You'll be able to get it wherever books are sold. I'm 150 pages in. The anecdotes are great. MLB historian John Thorne likes to call some books new takes on old tales. I feel like this book falls under that umbrella. What's the purpose of the book? Yeah, I, I think that's right. New takes on old tales is a good way to put it. I mean, we all know that the World Series has been around since 1903. A lot of the stories are well known, but what I wanted to do was not be the just the 500 person to tell you that Bill Mazeroski and Joe Carter hit big home runs, you know, but maybe the first <laughs> to, to, to talk about all the background stories that go with it, you know, like the they are focusing on on the walk to Mike Davis that sets up the Kirk Gibson home run and just how improbable that was to, to, to talk about, hey, we all know it was Mitch Williams who gave up the home run to Joe Carter. But, you know, why do they take out Roger Mason? I mean, they had the one they have one hot reliever and they just took him out. They, they you know, they should they could have ridden the hot hand. So a lot of that stuff, a lot of like the unsung heroes, the Ed Spragues and the uh, Tony Womack. Tony Womack, Hal Smith, who I was able to get just before he died. So, you know, it, it was really a, a joy. Ever since the first World Series game I went to when I was eight years old on a Sunday, a Saturday afternoon at the Vet in 1983, mm. I've just been enraptured by the World Series. I've been fortunate to cover every World Series game the last 20 years and a whole bunch before that. And so a lot of it's like first firsthand kind of from the scene sort of observations and a lot of it is is historical stuff and a lot of it's just you know tracking down guys on the phone tracking down steve blast to talk about pitching a complete game to to win game seven on the road in 1971 right before his control goes away and right before clemente dies you know all this stuff like you know to track down carl erskine and talk about what the world series was like in the 40s and 50s and how it's like today so to, to give the reader a chance to sort of go back in time and right to the present day, you know, right with Alex Anthopoulos talking about the 21 Braves and how they were put together and Kevin Cash talking about that decision to take out Blake Snell and what that signified. You know, our guys clutch, you know, Mike Schmidt talking about how one year he could win the World Series MVP and then three years later he's in his own head and he goes one for 20 with a broken bat single. Same guy, same stage in his career, but a crisis of confidence. How does that happen? You know, Reggie Jackson, Jim Palmer, Dennis Eckersley, Hall of Famer, guys like that, uh, Tony La Russa. So it was just, it was really, really fun for me to sort of put my own take on a lot of this stuff that that people know pretty well and maybe show them some things they didn't know and, and have some fun along the way. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. The definitive book on the history of the World Series in modern times. So, so good. Tyler, Certainly- um, Mike Davis was my hitting coach two years in AA. Is that right? Really? Yes, Did you ever talk about the walk? I was going to say, walk? yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yes. the, the stories he gave, the story he gave us about it was a rain. I'll never forget it. This is interesting. We were in Birmingham. And it was raining sideways as it does every afternoon in the South or evening in the South. So, yeah, we were talking about, you know, just old times and just, you know, he just he we sat down on the bench and we just he told that story. And it was it was fascinating. Guys were locked in. It was tremendous. Yeah. I mean, wow. Hey, Kirk Gibson's not Kirk Gibson without that. 
No, and, and Dennis Eckersley faced ninety over ninety batters uh, the rest of his postseason career, and he never walked any of them. <laughs> he walked Mike Davis because Mike Davis, well, he had a bad year that year. You know, he had one ninety six with two home runs to Dennis Eckersley. He was the same guy who was his teammate the year before in Oakland, who had twenty two home runs and was a pretty big power threat. And Eckersley wanted to be careful with power hitter like Mike Davis, and he was careful. But was then, it was it the one two or the two two was a strike? You know what? I went back and, and looked at that because that's how Sandy Alderson remembered it too. And I, the pitches they weren't the close. Were not, they weren't close. No, are you yeah. sure? Okay, yeah. I, I yeah. think there was he's because even he, he, I mean, look, this is twenty years later, and I actually talked to MD about I don't know about a year ago, but anyway, I, I swear one of them he said was was close, and everybody was oohing and on, and even though they were at home, there was a bunch of chirp, chirping from the uh, Oakland dugout, but. Uh, if you say so, you probably you're clearly much closer to it than I, you know, I've been. Well, that, in recent that, years. that is what I that is what I suspected and what I thought. But in, in going back, Eckersley was just missing up and away. Yep. You know, he, he just couldn't he couldn't get it uh, dialed in right there, and he, he still kicks himself for that. And like yeah. uh, you know, but Mike did a great job. I mean, to, he wasn't a guy who walked a lot, and right, and he he did walk there, and he stole second base. Um, and he's like, if I'm out, you got to just bury me right there at second base because, you know, but, <laughs> but that, but that helps Kirk Gibson think small, right? To think, okay, yep. I got a guy in scoring position. Now just go the other way, just poke it out, you know, and, and, as you know, Bobby, you know, if you have that right kind of mentality and you're not trying to do too much, that really does help you. So Mike Davis was essential in that. And he got his world series Homer, which he, he told all his teammates that God had told him he would do. And he got it in game five. So yep. a hell of a World Series for, uh, for Mike Davis. <laughs> and, 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 and add to it, a wonderful human. I did have the pleasure of spending two seasons with Mike. I mean, it's buses, it's cages, it's, you know, it's in the dugout between innings. It's not just a good baseball man, but a good man. So it was, it was a pleasure. And I'm glad you had that experience as well with him. I think it's good that we end on one of the greatest surprises in baseball history, Kirk Gibson's World Series winning homer, which was set up by... Mike Davis's walk with two outs in the ninth inning. 13-year-old me remembers it very, very well. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, guys. All right, fellas. Thanks a lot. Yep. Always a pleasure. This wraps up our regular season finale. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be doing some post-season stuff as well. We'll see where that takes us. Keep your ears posted for that. For Bobby Scales, Tyler Kepner, and our producer, Justin Stein, I'm Mark Simon. Thank you for listening to the Sports Info Solutions Baseball Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SIS Baseball Podcast. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, email the show at mark at sportsinfosolutions.com or tweet us at sportsinfo underscore SIS.